Welcome to the ENA Podcast. Welcome to the ENA Podcast. This is Dan Campana, Senior Manager for PR and Communications with the Emergency Nurses Association. Appreciate you tuning in to listen to our latest episode. And before we get into what this episode is about, really talk, you know, want you to uh, check out the July issue of ENA Connection, which focuses on our coverage from the Spring Regional Symposium in Seattle. We talk about our disaster panel, which was really well received and a lot of great information was shared there. But overall, those two days, the uh, the diversity of topics and the the just the depth that our speakers brought was really um, important on some some very diverse topics. And one of those topics, um, you know, was brought to us by Gary Gardner, a critical care clinical nurse educator, talking about the stigmas that still exist when it comes to the LGBTQ community. Gary, welcome to the ENA podcast. Good morning. Thank you for having me. So, Gary. Uh, First of all, let's learn a little bit about your background, um, how long you've been um, you know, in the, the healthcare world and, and really how this topic, why this topic is so important to you in terms of getting, you know, getting past the stigmas that um, sometimes can interfere with the way people are treated and how they are cared for uh, in the emergency setting or anywhere in the healthcare world. Sure, um, just a little bit about me. I am um, 44 years old, so moving up there in the age category. Uh, and, and I've spent about, well, more than half of my life in healthcare. Of course, uh, right out of high school, went into uh, nursing uh, education and uh, finally completed a, back, a master's degree in, in 2013. And all of my, or most of my critical care experience has been in a variety of ICUs um, from academic centers to small community hospitals. I did a little stint in travel nursing. I even uh, had a few assignments where I got to float to the emergency department. So I'm not a stranger to the emergency department and <laughs> ENA. I have several friends who are members and, and heavily involved. And so, you know, I think it's important for us to look at healthcare as a very broad uh, avenue for patients to see us and for us to see them in, in very different situations. Uh, and so as we look at the communities that we serve, kind of think about ourselves. And that makes me think back to, you know, um, growing up in a very small community uh, in central Illinois, uh, I really didn't have any exposure to those broad, diverse communities um, that I do now. Uh, and so about the age of 22 was when I finally uh, accepted that I was gay and came out to my family, friends, coworkers, et cetera. And um, that's kind of where I started uh, the journey because I really didn't have any pre-existing relationships or exposures to the LGBTQ community. And that really, I think, uh, made it, well, that was one of the reasons that it was until I think was the age of 22 that I came out. Many, many uh, of our um, members of the community are coming out at various different ages. And so those are things we also have to consider. Um, and I think one of your uh, teammates with ENA asked me in Seattle, um, you know, what started me on my journey to being an LGBTQ advocate? And I would certainly say that coming out was the start. Uh, and then about five years later, when I 
found out that I was HIV positive was really the start of advocating for changes in healthcare and how we assess, uh, treat, and interact with members of the LGBTQ community. So one of the things that really stood out to me about your presentation was blending of that personal story and that personal journey and giving that context in the broader sense of the what, what you, you sort of uh, crossed out in your slide, you know, not the history of the oppression and discrimination experienced by the LGBT community, but the current status of the oppression and the discrimination that's experienced by, by that population, by the population. And, you know, the, the way that was blended together, because you can speak from a healthcare perspective, but you can speak from the personal side of it. And I think that's what really stood out to, to me and many of the people in attendance was just to hear that this isn't just something that you've studied. You've, you've learned it, you've lived it, and you're trying to help everyone be better about this because you understand how delicate it can be at times. Um, just briefly, talk a little bit about some of the things that you know, maybe people don't realize are still occurring whether by, you know, just, just because people have not been accultured to really what, what is going on in the world, or in some cases, as you pointed out, you know, there are laws and regulations that fuel some of this discrimination. I mean, it's 2019, and I, I think there's some people who would be surprised to know that this is as prevalent still as it is. Yes, and, and I'm glad you brought up the, the change in the slides that I made, um, because in fact, I made that uh, change to that slide uh, the night before uh, giving the presentation as I was thinking about, you know, what am I going to talk about that's really going to be important um, for the members of the audience to, to hear. And it was that point that, that yes, there is a history and we, we learn about the history and we talk about the history all the time, but it's absolutely imperative as healthcare providers to understand that there is a current situation uh, among the LB LGBTQ community that, that has uh, insensitivity, uh, lack, of, uh, lack of applying the knowledge that we have for different reasons, and, and really understanding the laws, like you mentioned, is that there are still states in this country that, that have laws in place that will uh, discriminate against a member of the LGBTQ community uh, as far as what kind of health care they can receive, what kind of insurance access they have, what, um, what types and what uh, other types of, of discrimination are allowed actually. Um, and then that they're not considered uh, illegal or wrong in some areas. And, and even outside of the, the arena of, of what are the laws and what do the books say is just there are there are places and, and uh, facilities where it, it's, it's the standard where LGBTQ community uh, patients and, and family members are not treated the same. And that's really unfortunate. And like you said, it is 2019 and we can do better. And I think that's really the vision that I would have for uh, new nurses, experienced nurses, nurses changing their career to a different uh, different uh, service line from one med surge nurse to an emergency department nurse and, and how we interact with ourselves and our patients. So there's, uh, there's two parts that kind of jump out at me here that this is about treatment 
in a clinical sense, but this is also about treating people as human beings. Talk a little bit about the distinction on those two areas. I think, you know, there are a lot of, or there is a lack of information uh, as far as it goes with how the LGBTQ community accesses healthcare, as well as the disparities that they have. And um, that was the was really one of the things I wanted to point out is that, you know, I have been a patient, I have been in the emergency department, um, receiving care, and heard comments from the staff, I have uh, then later um, went to a dentist, in fact, um, and the dentist made specific comments during my visit while I was in the chair. Uh, and and those co- comments made me uncomfortable so that after that experience, I didn't go see a dentist for many years. Um, and so we have to think about when when those things occur and patients are not treated as human beings or we don't uphold our, our standards for patients and do no harm and treat all patients the same, that becomes an issue and it's sometimes not intentional maybe, uh, but I think we have to be uh, aware of ourselves and how we're interacting with patients from this population. And, you know, it's, it's, it's unfortunate that we have to say this population or just distin- distinguish between a patient that's LGBTQ or a patient that's not LGBTQ because we are all humans. And that really is the crux of all of the information that I wanted to give in this presentation was that, you know, we have to be passionate about how we provide care and we have to be passionate about who we provide that care to. And on the clinical side, there are some specific uh, health-related issues that are maybe a little bit more prominent and maybe sometimes are um, multiplied in terms of seriousness because uh, people may not want to come in and, tr- and seek healthcare because of some of those things that you mentioned, how they feel that they've been treated in the past, you know, creating those other barriers to, to care. But there are some specific health-related things that you mentioned, whether it be uh, sexual health or maybe it's drug-related, um, you know, that they may have specific things that, uh, that as a clinician, you, you need to look out for. Uh, walk us through some of the things that maybe in particular, um, maybe, maybe more common or maybe things to be on the lookout for when working with a patient from the, the LGBT community. Sure. I w- I'll first start with, you know, that's one of the things that is actually not... Uh, understood as well in the medical community uh, about the health disparities that LGBTQ uh, members experience um, because we're not currently, uh, we're getting better, but we're not doing, uh, collecting the right data uh, to understand what LGBTQ members are presenting with uh, to the emergency department or the clinic. And so, that is really one of the things that the Healthy People 2020 initiative is working on is, is collecting that data in a better way so that we can understand that there are members of the LGBT community that are more susceptible to mental illness. There are members that are more susceptible to addictions, drug and alcohol abuse. Um, Suicide is uh, uh, another one that we we try 
to understand more, um, but we know that that young adolescent uh, LGBTQ uh, patients or, or people are, are at higher risk for uh, suicide, and that might be because of bullying, it might be because of mental illness. Um, there are a number of factors that, that the healthcare community at large is still trying to understand fully. And, and then we have to think about there are the normal things that patients deal with every day, like hypertension, and maybe they have a, a urinary tract infection, or they have a mass in their breast. And that becomes very difficult sometimes when patients have experienced discrimination or stereotypical attitudes towards them in previous experiences. Uh, and especially if a patient might be transgender or intersex, there are considerations that if a, um, if a female to male transgender patient experiences a lump in his breast, that might be something he doesn't want to talk to anyone about. Um, so there's, there are issues and considerations um, for all of the, the normal everyday things that we deal with in the emergency department and in the ICU and, and all over healthcare is that, that we have to kind of change our view or at least look at our perception of a healthcare disparity, um, you know, and, and think about how someone who is experiencing life differently um, might, might uh, change their attitudes towards healthcare. Uh, when seeking healthcare, or even when when um, trying to navigate how to get insurance, uh, how to seek care from uh, an LGBTQ-friendly healthcare provider, uh, we don't often think about the need for some sort of uh, uh, well flag for the better for the lack of a better term um, that tells us this physician is LGBTQ friendly and this physician is not, or nurse or patient care provider of any sort. You mentioned Healthy People 2020. Uh, from what I've come across, it's really sort of a twofold approach. It's about better communication, but it's also about recognizing the, the unique uh, medical needs or, or clinical needs. Uh, what what do you sort of see the, the 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 right the overall goal for Healthy People 2020? I mean, is it is it that dual purpose or is it even broader than that? Well, I think you said it. it's it's about understanding the community better, and and that really is the broad goal. Um, and and there are a few goals that are specific to collecting better data for this patient population. However, the other goals that are associated with those other health uh, health disparities are not necessarily pointed at or seeking uh, information because it's an LGBTQ uh, topic. Um, it is really seeking information on how often or where are the LGBT community patients presenting with hypertension, uh, you know, uh, GYN problems, um, any kind of healthcare issue. So, and that, you know, kind of points to the intersectionality that all societal categories have connections and that is certainly including healthcare disparities and, and how they access and, and how they get treated. 
So I, from a from a nursing standpoint, I, I'm sure that there are well you know well-meaning nurses who maybe just don't know sometimes and, and say something or do something that could be considered offensive or, or could actually leave sort of a residual uh, effect on you know uh, an LGBTQ patient through no malice, no intent. I mean, we know that there are some probably negative stories and bad stories out there, but I would imagine there's a, a fair amount of them that are sort of innocent, not knowing any better type things. Is that is that a fair a fair way of putting it, or is it just a matter of people having as they continue to grow their understanding and more so being willing to ask questions and show that they don't know everything? Is that really sort of a a path, a simple path that that you know nurses can go on to? get a little bit better each day in, in their approach with these patients? I, th I think you're absolutely right. I think there are a number of, of interactions throughout our daily lives that, you know, we may say or do something that is completely innocent, but the patient or the family may not receive it as innocent. And so that's where, you know, you're right. We have to go on our own path of enlightenment and education about this topic and how, um, how we can really, like I mentioned in the presentation, do a self-evaluation. We need to look at, you know, our beliefs, our thoughts, our beliefs, uh, you know, and, you know, without bringing anything like politics or religion into it, you know, we just really have to think about what are our thoughts on every patient deserves the same level of care, regardless of X, Y, or Z. And then, you know, we have to think about as we move along this path is what is our comfort level with caring for a patient that may or may not be LGBTQ uh, and, and whether that patient is open and upfront about their status in the community or they're not open, but they may have certain presentations that, um, you know, alar alerts us to the fact that they might be LGBTQ. And I think that is a is a sticky wicket there. You know, we have to be careful because some perceptions might lead us down the wrong path. And there you go with those innocent uh, statements or or questions that uh, might be offensive to a patient. Um, with with regard to to that, I think the biggest thing we can do is to educate ourselves on things like terms, uh, gender pronouns, uh, appropriate statements or questions for LGBT community members uh, seeking healthcare. And I think that uh, as we look at that, uh, when we see other coworkers uh, and their interactions with patients that might be LGBTQ, you know, think about how are we interacting with our own staff and our own coworkers, and how does that reflect on our own practice? And the biggest thing, the biggest uh, point I want to make there is that, you know, if you see someone uh, being insensitive, whether it's intentional or unintentional, uh, I think it's our responsibility as healthcare providers to uh, speak up really to to say hey you know i noticed that you were dealing with that patient and you used the wrong gender pronoun and the patient has already stated that they prefer us to use the proper pronouns and, and those are simple things you know there are very complex situations 
Um, you know, I can remember some very difficult cases during my career where, you know, I'm a member of the community myself, but I'm also caring for a member of the community. And it was even difficult for me. So I understand and completely uh, empathize with, you know, nurses and physicians who are who are struggling with this because even I don't understand every aspect of all of the interactions that we might see or hear. So it's just important to look at all the resources we have available. And, you know, I just wanted to touch on a couple of those before we end today. So um, it's, it's important, really. Uh, professional development and understanding of the population is, is a big key. And even in something as dynamic and complex as this can be, there are some small practical steps that can start to build that understanding and really get people into some good habits. And one of the things that you talked about was simply how you are uh, notating things in charts and how you are being careful about how you notate things in charts so that one, you are providing good information to others who may interact with this patient, but also that you're not putting things in there that if they were viewed by other sets of eyes, could not um, compromise some patient confidentiality type things, or very simply, uh, maybe a patient hasn't, uh, hasn't disclosed to their family or to their friends uh, particular things. And if it's noted in the chart and somebody else help, happens to see that, it creates other challenges. So it sounds like there's some real Absolutely. practical steps that people can take. What, what are some things that you would, you would offer up as those practical takeaways to really help people begin to understand how simple it can be to really be on a good path to communicating better and better understanding, you know, these types of interactions? Well, I think, you know, I, I mentioned doing the, that self-assessment, um, understanding how you uh, yourself feels about uh, patients and caring for patients in the LGBTQ community. Uh, and then learning those terms and, and gender pronouns, and there are a lot of them, and they continue to add to the list. Uh, just like healthcare, we change our acronyms all the time, and so you know we we just need to continue to learn those things. And then utilization of resources. There are an amazing number of resources out there, but I think that I I feel like the top three really are the Healthy, Healthy People 2020 initiatives. Uh, if you look on that webpage, uh, it's healthypeople.gov, uh, and you can go to the tab for lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transgender health, and it has an overview. It looks at the objectives that we're that the Healthy People 2020 is is looking at, and need I I should say also that they're already talking about the Healthy People 2030 initiatives. Um, so would, I'll be interested to see what those initiatives will look like and how they will change uh, over time and what they've gained over the last five to 10 years. Um, but it also looks at national snapshots and, and how um, the disparities that we're dealing with are changing over time. And with age, you know, patients with HIV are living long, healthy lives. So we now have to deal with uh, a different population of, of HIV positive uh, elderly patients. So how are we looking at dealing with those kinds of patients, um, looking at uh, gender uh, uh, realignment surgeries, um, where those patients are able to go for healthcare that's, that's appropriate and, uh, this, and held to the standard that every other surgical procedure is held to? 
Um, the other place that I would like uh, nurses to look at is the Movement Advancement Project, and that's uh, lgbtmap.org. And if you look at that, you can find out where you live, what the laws are in your state or region that affect the LGBTQ community. And that was really one of the, the resources that I found extremely helpful in understanding and presenting you know, why we have such uh, difficulty sometimes uh, when patients are seeking healthcare insurance um, and seeking how, uh, proper healthcare and what the laws are with family visitation and uh, legal uh, aspects of marriage and visitation rights. All of those things are detailed on the Movement Advancement Project uh, website, looking at uh, overall policy in, in the entire country, which, which states are doing well and which states are not doing so well. Uh, then looking at, at the specifics of sexual orientation and gender identity. The data is changing rapidly. So as we continue to move forward in the political environment and look at and see things being changed on the daily, we really need to keep up on our own state's uh, regulations that might affect how we how we care for patients and, and how those patients seek care. And then the last uh, resource I really would like uh, staff to come take a look at is the HRC, uh, the Human Rights Campaign uh, website and the Healthcare Equality Index. That uh, is an organization or a, a stem of the HRC that allows uh, for promoting equitable and inclusive care for the LGBTQ community, um, for, for their patients, for their families, uh, and looking at how each of our institutions across the country scores in providing equitable care for the LGBTQ community. And I actually just yesterday uh, received an email from my organization um, that 10 of our hospitals are actually on the healthcare equality index uh, that was just updated. And so we did quite well on those scores and I'm proud to say that. Uh, and I think not all organizations are aware of that ability to be on that index. So it would be important to, to look at that uh, and see what are the recommendations for providing equitable care in your organization. And having seen, having some familiarity with uh, with that index and that that uh, uh, that recognition, I know that number the number of facilities has grown. You know, uh, it's growing at a, at a at a decent pace over the last few years, and I imagine that that is a combination of not just you know hospital or, or uh, uh, healthcare organization leadership making changes, but a lot of that is coming up from the frontline staff level as well, and it. Sounds like it needs to be a collaboration, you know, where the ideas and the people who are seeing things on the front line are communicating with their leaders to better understand the best ways to meet some of those criteria that are listed, um, you know, with with the equality index, but also to just do the right things on a day to day basis. Right. And it, I mean, it includes things like uh, best practices for uh, equity and inclusion. Um, it talks about how we can reach out to to a highly loyal market segment. Um, I think lots of uh, corporations are looking toward the LGBTQ community as a, a, a source of income. So 
and that's sometimes a, a controversial topic. Uh, but you know, there is a loyal market segment there that organizations can can look to. Uh, we also look at improving quality and safety for patients who are HIV positive, who might be transgender, who might be intersex. Intersex is one of the topics we didn't actually get to talk about a lot in the presentation, uh, and there, that is you know a, a misunderstood topic sometimes. Uh, patients are, are are either born with um, both sets of, of genitalia or some degree of uh, hormonal imbalance that might have them be born with external male genitalia but have female organs inside that are partially or fully developed uh, and any combination of or change in, in that. So intersex is really uh, a lot misunderstood, but there are best practices for those patients. Uh, and looking at how to uh, enhance those patient satisfaction scores. It's really uh, difficult sometimes when uh, a patient seeks health care from a, a provider, uh, whether that be a physician or a nurse, and the nurse does not understand or the, the provider does not understand the disorder or the, the issue that they're presenting with. Um, and I think I mentioned earlier for, you know, the, the uh, female to male patient with a breast lump, you know, uh, it's, it's hard for a provider sometimes if a patient presents as male, wearing men's clothing, uh, looking male, but presents to the office with a breast lump. And yes, men get lumps in their breast, but this particular patient has breasts because they were born female. So when, when we think about how to interact with that patient and not cross barriers or say something inadvertently, um, it's, it's difficult sometimes. Sure. Well, Gary, you mentioned a, a number of different resources um, that anybody can go to learn more, either whether it's on the legal side of things, whether it's uh, sort of improving communications or even down to the clinical side. You also offered yourself up to the audience in Seattle as a resource if people had questions or wanted just to, to help understand a little bit more about your story. Um, you know, how can people reach you if they had some questions that maybe they, they felt comfortable asking you about? Oh, certainly. I'm uh, available. You could have them reach out to my email. Um, my email is actually very easy. It's my first name dot last name at iCloud. So I'm sure if you're putting that up on the podcast, you can put that in the links. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. I'm, I'm happy to, to answer questions. Uh, you know, I'm certainly not the absolute expert. There are many people uh, that can give answers as well. But, you know, I've, I feel like a different context, you know, having lived some of the experience um, and then researched it quite extensively to do a couple of presentations and, and being able to at least point someone in the right direction for resources, whether they have uh, questions as uh, a nurse or a, a healthcare provider, or even questions as a member of the LGBTQ community. I think sometimes we don't, uh, when, when dealing with uh, coming out, finding out that one is HIV positive, or any other uh, healthcare related item as a member of the community, sometimes we lack in the ability to find people to talk to 
um, because it's not talked about very well. Right. Well, Gary Gardner, I appreciate you joining the ENA podcast today and recapping a little bit of what uh, our audience in Seattle at the Spring Regional Symposium was able to hear. So I, I thank you for your time today. You're welcome. I hope it was helpful. Absolutely. So that'll do it for this episode of the ENA podcast. And as a reminder, if you'd like to reach out to Gary, you can find him at gary.gardner at icloud.com. That's G-E-A-R-Y, something that I stumbled over as well, but make sure that everybody's got the right <laughs> spelling of that so they can reach out to Gary if you've got questions. And Gary is just another example of the, the high-end, unique, and diverse educational offerings that ENA has available not only at the fall and spring regional symposiums, but at Emergency Nursing 2019, which is coming up in Austin at the end of September, the early part of October. And as mentioned, the fall regional symposium will be in Milwaukee, November 7th and 8th. So you can find all that information on the ENA website and in upcoming episodes of the ENA podcast. So once again, thank you to Gary Gardner for joining us. And until next time, thank you for listening. And we hope to have you join us again in the future on the ENA podcast.